Draft Week! How's it going? A little bit of a break, but it is time for Love the Fit, Good Match Player in Steam season. We're talking about it with Chad Ford on the podcast today. JP Chunga, Round Ball Roundup, UtahJazz.com. There's a great nugget that Chad drops during our talk, so you'll definitely want to hear it, and it's midway through and how it affects the entire draft. We're talking Jazz at 30, and also where he sees the entire draft as a whole. How does this one stack up in other drafts? You know, So we get into that, and I love the draft. I love watching these players. I love college basketball, new guys, as we're talking about overseas players, everything around that. I love this draft process. It's a chance to keep the basketball going all year long. From high schools even, right? Like Peach Jam was the other weekend, and NBA scouts are devouring that with what you're seeing from Amani Bates or the guys coming up. Like that's a little too in the weeds as uh, we're talking about future, future draft prospects. But we talk about the draft with Chad Ford. You want to listen to that. But the finals happened, so a thought on that, a lesson from it, and we're not going to do the face the league, where's this legacy game, is he in the pantheon, that discussion doesn't interest me right now, we can talk about that later, uh, I want to do how this finals can translate to what the Jazz can have in terms of success, looking from that perspective, both teams knew they were good, and in the offseason, they doubled down, they went all in. They poured resources into upgrading their roster. And for Milwaukee, it was trading three first-round picks for Drew Holiday. And for Phoenix, it was trading a first-round pick in next year's draft for Chris Paul. They saw they were good. They recognized 8-0 in the bubble. I thought it was a mirage for a team to go undefeated against some squads that were minorly motivated or preparing for actual playoff games, but they believed in that group. They went in. They got Chris Paul. He leads them, changes culture, helps their young players go along, and, of course, he's at the top of his game. What was it in the end? Drew Holiday is a guy who will absolutely show up defensively and slow down offensive players the best on the other team. Trey Young, Devin Booker, CP. It doesn't matter. Drew Holiday, he's the most Mike Conley player who isn't Mike Conley. When has he been the absolute best player on his team? Like Mike, he hasn't been the best player on his team since he was in AAU. Even before that, because he was playing with Greg Oden. But when you have a good group, you have to go and follow through and take that all the way to its logical extension. What makes sense, you have to keep it. And now they have decisions on both. Milwaukee is capped up with Chris Middleton, with Giannis, with Drew Holiday. They're going to be operating as a luxury tax team this upcoming season, and they have $100 million plus devoted to those three players. And they have to decide, what are we going to do with Bobby Portis? who has a player option? What are they going to do with P.J. Tucker, who is an unrestricted free agent? Phoenix in the same boat. What are they going to do with Chris Paul? He has a player option. 
if you're a group that all of a sudden got to the NBA Finals and has finally felt success first time in about 10 years since that last group of sons, you want to keep that. Chris Paul was instrumental in doing that. Finding someone to replicate what he can do, impossible. So you have to do all that you can to keep him. And that's what the Jazz have. Listen to our conversation that we have with Bobby Marks to line up exactly what is at stake for Utah this free agency period, heading into the trade season, looking at it all. Mike Conley, what is his market? How much can he get? What's the aggression of the Mavericks, of the Heat, of the Knicks? Are they going to try and prime away? Because the Jazz group, very good. They're an excellent regular season team. With a healthy Mike Conley, what do you think could happen? They're going to have that discussion as to what to do with that point guard who made his first all-star team in a jazz uniform. Like, my opinion, you do what you need to do to keep him here. Group's too good to see it go away. And you figure out the number that is satisfactory to both sides, and you keep him here. Championship windows are only so big, and you don't want to see that go away. Okay. As for the draft, uh, I've been diving into these players. Um it's so much fun to look at the internationals because I don't obviously get to see as much of them and jump into more of the G League because there's so many G League guides in the draft. And a couple are picking up steam. Like Kevin O'Connor over at the ringer had Isaiah Todd as a selection for the Jazz. And Todd's classic stretch big has good moves uh, on the perimeter and shoot the three. There's a great nugget from Chad Ford when we talk about Trey Murphy, player who, when I re-looked at the prospect ratings over at ESPN, thing that we used last time when we were talking about the draft, it's what I go off of in terms of player rankings. I look at all of them. It's like, don't worry. I'm doing the reading, okay? I'm a good student. But ESPN is, is my baseline, and Murphy was at 30. When the jazz season ended, listen to Chad. He's starting to pick up steam late lottery. So, this is when some of those targets that you have might not be available for you. Jazz picking at 30, it's so tricky what they're going to do. You can find rotation players at all sorts of spots in the draft, yet at 30, you have to be super precise in who you're going after, what the development plan is. Uh, you cannot, and I can say this just uh, from media's perspective, like you cannot dive into the draft uh, postseason and think you're going to be caught up on Thursday. It's just not going to happen. You have to be following these players throughout, watching college basketball during the season, and knowing what you're talking about when you talk about these players. Like, What are your values when you're looking at a prospect? Saying that a guy is talented, what does talented mean? And this is the debate that you're having in a war room when front offices are talking about prospects. What does talented mean? Define talented for me. Is it that he has a great handle? Is it that he has all the measurables? Get down to those granular details of what we're talking about, and then we can talk about prospects and what they're doing and whether they're, quote, talented. 
my personal philosophy, when you're at 30, Shohei Otani, home run swings. Have to take a project risk to see who's going to be really good down the line. And there's some possibilities at 30 that can get there. This has become a Trey Murphy podcast, but he's a stretch four who shot the three incredibly well at college, 43%, and he gave great effort. For me, I value great effort so powerfully that shows to me that they're willing to do the work, go with a development plan, and keep it going beyond just being drafted. They will go the extra mile to work on their game, get to a point where they can be a contributor on the winning team. Trey Murphy has that. He put up great college tape. But some players, when you're looking at 30 and you're going for big swings, may not have put up great college activity. B.J. Boston, he was a top recruit heading out of high school, switched from Georgia to Sierra Canyon to play with Bronny James and be in that high profile. He goes out and wins Southern California Player of the Year, and he follows it up with a very disappointing freshman season. A 6'7", 185 wing who shot 38% on two-point shots. Didn't play well. I'm watching him against Tennessee, and he cannot finish through contact. There are moments where he absolutely doesn't look as engaged as he ought to, but that's a big swing. He could be a potential player that you look back on the draft and say, wow, he blew up. He's really good. Same for uh, Josh Christopher, Arizona State, 6'5", 215, didn't have a great first year in college. Zaire Williams has the same thing when he played at Stanford. He's another one of the Southern California group. Played at Sierra Canyon again. He didn't put up good first-year numbers. And I wonder how COVID's going to affect. Zaire Williams was living out of a hotel the entirety of the season. How does that help you in establishing habits and figuring things out? Just working out. How are you going to work out when you don't have a home? It's very tricky for what's going to happen with the Jazz at 30. But hopefully this convo with Chad will give you some idea of thought process, of players that will be around there, good opportunities for young players as we've got Summer League coming up around the corner. Salt Lake Summer League and Vegas Summer League. So, five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. A couple good off-season ones so far, Chad Ford and Bobby Marks. I've been reading the Brooklyn Nets book, Can't Knock the Hustle by Matt Sullivan. That's been a refreshing one to read. Keon Dueling, assistant coach with Jazz, quoted in there. See if we could do a little book club later on in the offseason. I've also got Kate Fagan's memoir. She used to cover the 76ers for the Philadelphia Inquirer. I want to talk to her. So some exciting things happening over the offseason. Stick with us. And thanks for listening to today. We'll be back after the draft. Please enjoy NBABigBoard.com and Lockdown Podcast host, the imitable Chad Ford. Well, I, I always like that when they lost 15 pounds, they don't say of fat. 
But when they mm -hmm. say they gained 15 pounds, it's always of muscle. All muscle. So I think I'll, I'll prefer that that the 15 pounds of muscle because I, there's something not quite as truthful about the lost 15 pounds if you're not going to then add a fat to it. What is the approach in this last week as you are getting so much information, trying to verify which parts are true, which are yeah. smoke screens? What's the approach as we head into this stretch run for you as you're preparing for your draft? Uh, careful. You know, I just was literally joking on Twitter right before we came on that I, I, I could file a column right now called the crazy stuff I, uh, that I heard today. And, and some of it is stuff that is crazy just because it's like, wow, it just defies conventional wisdom. And some of it's crazy because it's like that there's no way that's not a smoke screen. Like there's no way that this isn't a team out there trying to manipulate stuff right now. And so where you're at right now, at least for me is that teams don't, anymore like to talk about what they're doing, but they love to talk about what everybody else is doing. And, uh, and it's, so it really is almost sort of like high school where everybody's sort of gossiping about, oh, I heard they had this person in, I heard they like this person, I hear they're sort of coming back, what are you hearing? And, and that's where I think some of the real whoppers, you know, come you know, out of it. And it's not even that it's just, it's like almost like telephone. It's not like it's been made up. And so, you know, maybe one day I'll file a column like that, just with the clear, you know, I don't believe any of this, but maybe you're interested in hearing what I hear, but then, you know, the fear is always, then someone quotes a snippet out on Twitter and says, Chad Ford reports, and then I'm the one reporting the crazy stuff. So, uh, it, it's a fun time of year. Uh, I call it the silly season and, uh, and, you know, but it's tough as a reporter to get really good, concrete, accurate information right now. There is some ways of doing it. Like, for example, when a team brings back a prospect for a second time, um, we just know baked into that, we don't bring prospects back as smoke screens. That's, that's unfair to them and their agents and, you know, their workout schedule. That, that means, okay, we're at a serious interest level now with this prospect and, and we should probably take that prospect going to that team more seriously. So for like today, I just learned that Trey Murphy is coming back for a second workout with the Golden State Warriors. I have not had Trey Murphy as a, as a potential late lottery pick. I'm assuming it's at 14, not at seven. Uh, and, and now suddenly that's the sort of information that says, okay, we've got to readjust how we're sort of thinking about a particular prospect. And how do you stay on top of all these prospects just for you i mean you've been doing it so long so much experience but you have euro leagues you have college and now g league with some of the top guys being of those g league representatives how do you as a draft analyst try to stay on top of all these different leagues when there are so many players out there um it's hard but having some good friends who do this in the NFL, at least I'm not writing up 500 player evaluations, uh, you know, for a draft that goes eight rounds, seven rounds, eight rounds deep. I don't know in the NFL, you know, one of the things that makes it a little bit better about the NBA is that there's 60 prospects drafted of those 60, essentially 20 of them will end up playing any sort of significant role 
in the NBA. And, and so it allows you to focus in a way that unfortunately the NFL can't. And I'm, you know, I'm essentially working with five anymore. Sometimes I just say there's three positions, there's ball handlers, there's wings and there's bigs. Uh, and, you know, at the NFL, you're, you're looking at, you know, 20, 20 plus positions. And so I, I think we have it easy. Uh, at, you know, at the same time, there's this a huge amount of interest in a draft that typically is going to produce maybe one all-star, you know, three or four like really good starters, another, you know, five or six rotation players, and then maybe one or two other sort of fringe players. And that's it every year. But everyone approaches the draft as a fan of, you know, oh, I, I know we're at 30. Um, but, you know, maybe this is the guy who's going to be the missing piece that's going to put the Utah Jazz over the top to win a championship. And I'm like, you know, the odds are dramatically against you uh, getting that guy at 30, but you never know. You know, Rudy was drafted at 27. And so, you know, it happens. And that's one of the fun things about the draft. It, it, it really is a, we've tried to make it a science. I have, NBA teams have, but there's just something that resists any sort of systematic scientific understanding of what's going to happen from year to year. It's the human variability that I think makes the draft so much fun. Well, let's talk about that human variability. Jazz at 30, if anything was learned from the NBA Finals, you can find players late. Giannis, uh, Chris Middleton, a second-round pick as well, as somebody who's found later. What group of players are going to be available that would be in that Jazz range? I thought you were going to say Terrence Mann, who Jazz fans will have nightmares they about, know about for him. a really, really long time, who I think went 48th uh, in the draft. At, so the most likely outcome at 30 is that we don't have a player. but if we do it right. And last year, I think the, I believe the 30th pick in the draft was Desmond Bain, who actually had a, a very terrific season uh, at Memphis. I think a, a player that some jazz fans actually wanted the jazz to draft to draft last year. So, you know, what can you expect here? Uh, I, I think that the jazz need right now is an athletic three and D wing. Uh, that's probably their biggest need in the draft. We saw the jazz draft for need last year. They needed a big, the backup Rudy. Um, they got Doku, whatever you think about him, you know, at the time that was the sort of thinking was that we're going to move on from Tony Bradley and be able to bring in somebody who can help us a little bit. The problem is that's the hottest type of prospect in this draft. Like if you would have asked me six weeks ago, who I liked as a three and D prospect, I would have said Trey Murphy. For the Jazz. Now, Trey Murphy looks like he may be going in the lottery, and you're seeing these types of young, athletic, 3 and D prospects all sort of rising right now in the draft. And what's falling is probably what the Jazz need the least, which is another like big man. Um, right. And so you're it it's gonna be tough if Jazz fans are thinking that the solution to our playoff problems last year are going to come in the form of the 30th pick in the draft. And so my thinking about this is, is one of two things you, you play money ball. And, and when I say money ball, it is you look at what is not being uh, regarded right now, what is not hot, but that could be potentially valuable. Right. And so you don't buy on things that are selling at incredibly high prices. Trey Murphy as a potential lottery pick is an extremely high price to pay for Trey Murphy, uh, given the, what he did at Virginia and, and the sort of numbers that he put up. It's, it's, 
it's it's ridiculously high, but it, it, it's just what's in vogue in this draft. And so what what uh, is in vogue is there uh, a guard, uh, a point guard maybe uh, that makes some sense, or maybe one of the young high school prospects that really stumbled out of the gate. Uh, their freshman year in college and slid, but now the Jazz can get them, develop them, well, sort of like Jaden McDaniels last year, and and bring them in on a longer timetable. Though that's how I would be thinking right now if I was Justin Zanuck and thinking about how how to approach this this year's draft. Well, and one of those types of players that maybe didn't have a great freshman year, Kentucky, BJ Boston. Uh, what type of player is he, and what can he project in the NBA? He's a three and D without a three and without a D. Uh, I mean, that's, that's what he was at Kentucky. I mean, that's, that's why it was tough was watching those Kentucky clips. It, it really was. It's somebody who's looking at players around the jazz's range. BJ Boston didn't really impress in his year in college. He didn't. And he wasn't the only one. Zaire Williams, uh, Josh, Josh Christopher, uh, there, you know, uh, JT Thor. I mean, there was a number of guys, uh, Josh Primo that you could sort of pull out and say relative to where we thought of them in high school to what they, perf- how they performed and what they did in college. It, it, it was a disappointment, but I think this year in particular, we have to be careful because of everything that was happening in COVID um, because of the, the, the whole lack of development that was happening for many of these young prospects from the spring on when COVID hit, that maybe this college season wasn't as indicative of what they're going to be as pros as it typically would be. And so BJ Boston, would I, would I take a chance at him on 30? He is a wing who came in as a skilled wing who could shoot the basketball. He shot it terribly at Kentucky. He looked weak. He struggled to finish around the basket. He needs to get stronger. But if the Jazz are willing to put him in the D, uh, G League for a couple of years, really sort of develop him, they could end up with a potential lottery pick, you know, a couple of years from now. Because the talent, he wouldn't have been ranked that high if the talent wasn't there. And so now you've just got to figure out, did college expose him? Or was there just other extenuating circumstances that are there? I can say the same thing about JT Thor. He could say the same thing about Josh Primo. All of those prospects to me are very intriguing and, and players that I would look at if I were the jazz right now and try to bet on which one has the work ethic, which one has the patience and drive to get better um, that if we bet on them and invest in them over the next couple of years, we're going to get a big dividend um, coming out the back end. And, and that to me is a smart way to play this portion in the draft. Are there other home run swing types of players uh, beyond the ones that you named Thor, Primo, Herb Jones? Uh, are there other home run swings that could be available at 30? Now, see, I, I don't see Herb Jones as a home run swing. I see okay. him as more of a guy that is a senior that comes in and hopefully plays a need right now because he was one of the best defenders in college basketball um, last year. And the reason that he's not higher in the draft is because there's a questionable shot and questionable offense. Right. And so he slides a little bit, but I'm, I'm confident with a Herb Jones, for example, that he can go out and defend wings uh, at the next level. He could even earn minutes on a Utah jazz team last year. He's going to be an offensive liability, but defensively he's there and that's a much safer prospect. So for me, he's one of these low ceiling, um, high floor type players. 
He probably projects really easily as having a role in the NBA, but if you're expecting him to pop or be a home run, I think you're going to be really disappointed. The other guy that I, there's two other guys that I, I think would be like intriguing home run swings. In other words, that, you know, maybe they top out as like a, a young starter or star down the road. Uh, and, and one is Isaiah Todd, who played in the G League Ignite. Uh, who I'm just a little bit surprised as a 6'10 guy who can really stroke the basketball and played pretty well on a G League team where the level of competition was significantly higher than college basketball, that we're not hearing his name more. His coaching staff really liked him there. Um, they, they, they thought he's going to be a really good pro. He could be on the board at 30 for the Jazz and I think would be intriguing. And then if you really want to, to swing for the future, Vrins Blindberg, out of Belgium, who is a seven-footer who can handle the ball, can shoot the basketball, can defend multiple positions, exactly what the Jazz are hungry for and like, but he played in the Belgium League last year, which, folks, isn't particularly strong. He's rail thin and skinny. Um, you know, he needs to actually absolutely work on his body, but if you leave him in Europe and let him develop for a few years, or if you take him now and put him in your G league team and get him on a strength and development, um, this could be a huge hit um, for the jazz because he is extremely skilled and coordinated for a seven footer. He refers to himself as a seven foot guard. And, you know, those are the type of prospects that Utah just needs, needs more of, but you, again, for all of those guys, patience, 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 um, you don't draft them expecting them to come in and help you next year. And that's why, you know, I mean, 30 is, it's such a, a weary spot to be in being so far back. Like if everything went well, your dream scenario would be for like an Usman Garuba, who's this crazy defender and you watch all the clips and he's recovering on passes. He would be an amazing pick for the right. jazz, but He's not going to be available there, and, and you have to make those evaluations towards the end that figure things out. How do you rate the level of competition when you're talking about the Belgian League compared to G League for Isaiah Todd, compared to the Pac-12 or, or one of these conferences in college? It's a great question. Uh, I think that this is the first year that we've seen the G league in action. So, you know, we're, we're still calibrating there, but when I, when you talk to NBA scouts, most of them say that is a much more apples to apples comparison to the NBA than college basketball is or international basketball. They're running NBA sets. They're playing against NBA players. They're playing against all, almost all those players were drafted. Uh, they're, they're all worth were stars on their college basketball team. The level of competition is higher. And again, it's a pro style game. And, and so scouts were very pleasantly surprised coming back from those G league ignite practices and games saying, we think we have a good handle on Jalen green or Dacian Nix or uh, Jonathan Kaminga in ways that we wouldn't have if they'd played college basketball. So I, I don't think actually prospects should shy away from that. And now they don't get the exposure in the G league that you get in college basketball. So, you know, Jalen green is hurt a little bit because he's not in the NCAA tournament where Jalen Suggs is, uh, and, you know, has some big dramatic moments in the tournament and his name sort of floats to the top. Then I, then I think it's high level college basketball, whether that's sec or big 12 or big 10 or pac 12 or whatever. I think those are really good conferences and, and, you know, you can gauge that in the mid majors. 
international, it, it depends. If it's Real Madrid, where Usman Garuba plays, that is above all of those. Real Madrid could come in and give an NBA team a fight, right? The G League Ignite team could not, uh, right? And certainly North Carolina or Kentucky or Gonzaga or Baylor would get blown off the floor by the worst NBA team um, in the league. But Real Madrid could play. I'm not saying they'd win, but they could play. And so when Garuba is getting significant minutes on Real Madrid, that's impressive. When um, Alperin and Sengun wins the MVP of the Turkish League at 18 years old, MVP, not Rookie of the Year, MVP, that means something. The Turkish League is probably the second or third best league in Europe right now. That You have to take that seriously. And even though you look at him as a prospect and say, ah, geez, I just don't know how he plays or translates He's playing against former NBA players. He's playing against men 30 years old, 35 years old, and he's dominating over there. History tells us don't ignore that. Um, that's, that's something that's there. But if you're playing in the Belgium league, uh, it's, it's a different story. It's not a very strong league. It probably works out to be something like a mid-major D1, uh, maybe a little bit higher D1. And, and over there, Blindberg is playing okay, but he's not dominating. Right. That's interesting to hear. Level of competition that players are going at. Is the G League route becoming more viable for the right candidates? I don't think there's going to be a flood, but if you're mature enough, uh, it certainly does seem like something that a Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, some players can find success in. Yeah. When Jalen Green goes, you know, two or three in this draft, and then Kaminga follows at, you know, six, seven, eight, it's, it's all, and it's already there. I mean, the G league ignite has had a really good recruiting recruiting summer and has a, has a really talented group of young players coming in They're Even they've even recruited an Australian player uh, to come over and play here, which has typically been the other way. Some of the young Americans have been going over to Australia to play pro ball instead of college. Uh, I, I think it's absolutely viable. I'm as a college professor, I think there's many great things to say about going to college and I, I support it in so many ways, but if you're just thinking about pure preparation for the NBA, there's no NCAA restrictions about how much time you're getting coached. You don't have to go to class and focus on homework. You're facing players that are older than you. You have coaches that are teaching you NBA sets and telling you, you can't get away with that in the NBA. You've got to do it this way. Where in college, if you can get away with it, the coach doesn't care as long as you win, right? This job is not to groom you for the NBA. It's to help them win college basketball games. And so if I had a child that was this talented athletically and they were trying to make their decision, um, it would be a tough decision, but I would totally support someone going to the G League. Uh, I think that it's proved this year that it can work. I mean, look no further than Jazz to see a couple G League successes in Rudy getting time with the Bakersfield Jam way back in the day when it was the D-League and, and like George Niang, who worked himself into a solid rotation player. Looking at the draft as a whole, what is your feel for this year's crop? Where do they rate in drafts in the past as that top-end talent with Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Suggs, Scotty Barnes, those guys leading the top of the draft boards? It's a really good draft at the top. How good I think has been a source of debate over the last month. And I think that's where it is. And so, you know, I've, I've been looking at Cade more closely 
not because I'm doubting whether he's the number one pick in the draft. I think he is. If I was the general manager of the Pistons on draft night, I would personally select Cade Cunningham. So I, I want to give that caveat here. But when I've been looking at him critically, the question is, is he really like the second coming of LeBron James or, you know, Anthony Davis, this, you know, franchise chasing, cha- changing prospect, or is he just going to be like a really, really good NBA player, all st- multiple all-star teams or whatever, which is fine, perfectly fine for the number one pick in the draft. Not every year you're going to get a generational talent um, coming out of the draft. I, I err more towards when we see Evan Mobley and Jalen Green and Cade Cunningham's careers, they'll make multiple all-star teams and, and will have excellent careers. I'm not sure that I see generational superstar, multiple MVP talent out of, out of even Cade. Uh, and, and that's not a knock on him. Uh, he's he's going to be a great number one pick in the draft. But I, I think I would tamp down expectations. Now, there are a few people that I know that feel differently um, than I do about that. But I, I think that given Cade's lack of elite athletic ability, his path to superstardom it, you know, takes a hit because most of the players, when we think about at that level, are just freaky, uh, either in their athleticism or size for position or one particular particular skill that they do so well that it just blows like Steph Curry, that it just blows away, uh, you know, the competition. And I, I just don't, I don't see that with Cade. I see Cade as being a really, really, really good NBA player. Who is the trickiest to peg in that top five, top six range uh, as far as a player who could have a high ceiling, but also might have a, a low floor? Yeah, Jonathan, I mean, you know, comes to mind because he's young. The G League tape at times looks pretty good. Other times it looks pretty rocky. Uh, I think he's going to take a lot of development. I think he, even though he's got an NBA body, I think he's the least likely to come in and and have a lot of success early on. I think you're going to have to be more patient with him. So I think the floor is a little lower. Scotty Barnes is interesting. I'm a big Scotty Barnes fan personally. Uh, some teams are, some teams less so. I think he's a more polarizing prospect. And the shooting is the question for Scotty Barnes. You know, will he become enough of a shooter to get that gravity from NBA defenses that really set up what I think can be an elite passing game? The one thing that I would say about Scotty Barnes that makes me more comfortable with him is even if the shooting doesn't come along, he has the pen- potential to be a, like a Ben Simmons type defender. And I know Ben Simmons, the people don't like Ben Simmons right now because of his meltdown, free throw meltdowns in the playoffs. But Ben Simmons was runner up to Rudy for defensive player of the year. Uh, And and so you've got a guy who has that potential to hang his hat on. And then if the jump shot goes, okay, now you're talking about, uh, you know, a superstar. But Ben Simmons was a three-time all-star without a jump shot. And I think Scotty Barnes at, at could be that and maybe more. Where does the intrigue start for you in the draft as far as a team that might do something out of the ordinary or even a, a trade that could happen at the top of the draft? Well, Oklahoma City, 
has been gathering all these assets so that they can get a star. They are sitting on a mountain full of draft picks, trade exceptions, you, you know, ability to take really bad contracts back into, into cap space. I mean, they've got so much that they can do. It's hard to believe that they're just going to sit back and say, no, nah, we'll just sit here with the sixth pick in the draft and see which, which of these guys sort of falls to us. At some point, Sam Presti has to convert those assets into players and start and start playing again. Uh, and, and so I think a lot of us are eyeing, what's he going to do on draft night? What sort of godfather deal is he going to put together, given that he has the chance to do multiple ones, frankly, to either move up in the draft or bring in, you know, sort of young stars and help some other sort of team or what have you. It's, it's the team I just feel like is most likely to do something on draft night that we all say, wow. And then, you know, Golden State is the other team that everyone's eyeing because they have the seventh and 14th pick in the draft, but they are uh, a championship contender next year with a healthy Clay Thompson. And the window for Clay and Steph Curry and Draymond Green is, isn't closing, but it's, it's getting there, right? They're all above 30 years old. They, they don't have a lot of time left to be competing at the highest level. Do they really go and take a couple of rookies that probably can't help them and take up a few roster spots? Do they trade in and try to bring in one more big piece to make a push? Do they draft older prospects in the draft instead and say, we'll take these older guys who can help us a little bit, not worry about upside. I think everybody just is kind of in limbo right now with what are the Warriors going to do? And it affects the whole draft. Cause I can think I'm pretty confident who the first six guys in the draft are going to be, but then at seven, not like a gold state go a couple of ways. They may not even have this pick. And so I think that's where the chaos starts to, to form it uh, right, right there at seven. Where would Wiseman go if he were in this year's draft? Uh, probably six, seven mm-hmm. in this draft, something, something right around there. And where were you on his projection last year? I had him at two. Mm-hmm. And, uh, obviously after year one, two doesn't look quite good. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to say that especially him and the situation that he's in, and especially with bigs, you got to give him more time. I think it would be a mistake to write him off. But the first season was rocky at Golden State. I think that's probably the fair way to put it. Now, I'm not particularly surprised when they drafted him. I kind of thought that's probably what's going to happen. It's kind of the best and worst worlds for James Wiseman, like you get drafted by an amazing franchise great players to mentor you, whatever, but the expectations on you are completely different than they are on Patrick Williams or they are on LaMelo Ball or Anthony Edwards. And and you saw that and you saw him buckle a little bit under those expectations and get frustrated at times. And that's why sometimes it just comes down to where you land if it's the right fit for you. You could be the best prospect in the world, but if you're not getting playing time, you're not going to develop and it's not going to end out in the end for you it, it's such a tricky deal this draft and, and you're one of the people that is always around it covering it and and we respect that how early are you going to be looking at the chet holmgren the victor winyamba 
sort of tape as you look forward to other drafts after already, this one? Art, ridiculously, I'm already looking at it. Uh, <laughs> and, and it have to be because the first question I'm going to get asked on Friday morning uh, is who's the number one prospect in 2022? The draft's over. Uh, let's go. And, and that's fair and that's cool. And that's one of the things I like about the draft. There's no rest, like, uh, and especially because the draft is happening about a month later than it typically does. There's really no rest uh, now for, the, for these prospects, but uh, it's going to be intriguing draft next year. Obviously, Chet is going to be one of the more interesting prospects to, to evaluate what their NBA translation is going to be because he's another one of these guys that I'm just not sure we've ever had a prospect quite like him uh, before in the NBA. And, and that can be both exciting when you look at a Giannis Antetokounmpo to say just breaks a lot of conventions about what you sort of typically think about as a superstar and carved his own way uh, towards it. And it can also be really scary because maybe there's a reason that we don't have prospects like that uh, right now in the NBA. But Chet, Chet to me will be the, the probably the focal point of debate all year among folks that are following the draft about how good he is and what his ceiling is going to be. And if you haven't, if you haven't seen him go Google him and you'll, you'll know within about 30 seconds, why I say this, just look at that, that U19 final that they played against France, those yeah. two going head to head. That was awesome. Yeah. And Victor, by the way, would be number one in 2022 and I think he might even be number one in 2021 uh, if he were in this draft. He's two years away from being draft eligible, and it's a little bit misleading because he's missing the deadline for next year's draft by four days. Uh, he was born on January 4th, and so he just misses the cut the cutoff there. Uh, but you want to talk about a freak uh, at you know seven two with a you know seven eight seven nine I think seven nine. Um, wingspan that moves and plays like that. It's uh, we're going to have some really interesting prospects coming into the draft in the next couple of years. And this whole argument about whether bigs matter in the league anymore is going to be reignited as this different breed of big man starts to come into the draft that uh, wants to play like a wing at times, but then has the ability to block shots and do other things that are really, really interesting. It's going to be fun to watch, and we'll make sure to catch it, nbabigboard.com. Also, Locked On Podcast Network. He is Chad Ford, joining Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Chad, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me on the show. 